Newsworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry. Everybody, this is Upworthy Weekly, and my name is Todd Perry. And with me, I'm a staff writer at Upworthy, by the way. In case you don't know that, so if you read the stuff that goes out there, you'll find that uh, a lot of it's written by me. But, and that's why I'm here. But the other person that's here is here just because uh, she's a wonderful, joyous, funny, and smart person. And so she is also on this show. And this is Allison Rosen. Hello, nice to see you, Todd. It's good to be seen. Uh, and on this week's show, we're going to go over some of the most popular and engaging stories from the week of July 18th to the 22nd that you found on Upworthy. But before we get into that, Allison, I remember last week after I had finished editing the show to put it out, I hit you up on Twitter and I was like, Allison, this is one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. There was just, I don't know, there was a a vibe to it. It was like <laughs> chill. We were a little more laid back than usual. We weren't quite as amped up. And I thought maybe, you know, it was because Allison was very open about the fact that she had COVID-19 while recording it. But then after, and you actually said this to me on the show, I wish I had a clip here where you said, uh, you're getting it too. Or I think you said you have it too. Just like really well, you- accusatory. So if you can avoid this, which I don't think you can because everyone's getting it, including you, Todd, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel good. I don't recommend it. I was certain I was smug. I was accusatory because you had just gone to uh, an Upworthy retreat with a bunch of other Upworthy people. And I was sad that I now I'm I don't I'm not a staff writer at Upworthy. No. But at the same time, I'm involved in Upworthy goings on being part of this podcast. And, and maybe I would have gotten an invitation had I not had COVID. So I was sad that I couldn't be a part of it. Um, but I was thinking it's surging in LA right now. Oh my gosh, you just hung out with all these people. And you said that uh, you had like a little bit of scratchiness in your throat. And I mm. said, oh, Todd, you have it. And you're like, I'm testing, I don't, I'm testing negative. And I said, you have it. And then... Uh, cut to take it away Todd well yeah I just thought I was just kind of maturing you know um, (laughs) finally (laughs) yeah finally like I felt some descending going on and then uh, Mm -hmm. I did the next day I woke up and I did not feel very well at all and I took a test and lo and behold I guess Allison Rosen must be like I don't know the COVID whisperer or (laughs) she might be she might be like those those COVID sniffing dogs they have in the airport yes. in Amsterdam, or just somehow we're telekinetically connected via the podcast that we were actually being COVID twinsies, and I didn't know it, and we didn't get to celebrate it at the same time, which is kind of a little I bit know. of a bummer. I know, I know, and you know how like a good friend would be like, oh. It brings me no joy that I happen to be right. I'm not that kind of good friend. I was delighted that I was right. That was my first reaction was like, I knew it. I knew it. And then I felt bad for you. But first I was just happy that I was right. Because I knew you had it when you said it. I knew, I mean, how many times can I say I knew it? 
I just wanted it to be clear that I knew it. I mean, imagine if you went out on a limb like that, said, you have COVID, and then you were wrong. It would ruin your whole credibility as a media personality. I know, because I've been billing myself as the COVID Nostradamus. Yeah. You're like, you know, Maury Povich, after all these years of seeing people come on the show, you know he knows when the guy's the father. You know, he's sitting there like... You know, taking bets backstage with a, you know, with a security guard. <laughs> yeah, I got right. 20 bucks here. So this guy is totally the father, you know, and was right. probably right 90% of the time. Yeah, and nowadays it's like, can't get a rapid test? Call Allison. Right. Just talk to me and I'll just tell you. <laughs> That's what I do. I get real close when I go. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a little painful for people's ears. Um. But it's pretty effective. So, yeah. And, and cheaper. I mean, I, my family, thank uh, the Lord above that my wife and child did not get it because they immediately, you know, isolated me and stuck me in the bedroom, which it was kind of like Br'er Rabbit. I was, oh, no, don't put me in the bedroom all alone. Oh, please don't mm-hmm. do that. You know, don't put me in that briar patch. Uh but we'll, I'll get into that later. But, you know, but this is the Upworthy show. And, you know, whenever we get a negative review about the show, it's like, that wasn't Upworthy. Or when I write an article that people don't like, the first criticism is, that wasn't Upworthy. Like, maybe we said something slightly negative, you know, because we exist in the real world where there's disease and whatnot. But uh, I thought to myself, you know... I'm going to take the upworthy take on this COVID thing and think about what were some of the positive things about me having COVID this week? Well, number one, I was right. Oh, sorry. We should start with number five. I gave, yeah. I gave away number one. That's your number one, right? Allison was right. No, no, unfortunately <laughs> not. Oh, dang. Take no joy in that. Uh, first of all, <laughs> I got to blow off my nosy neighbors when I walked the dog. Oh, that's nice. Just, that is good, you know, yes. Like, guy across the street, love him, but didn't have to talk. He came over, hey, Todd, and I just pointed to the mask. Uh-huh. COVID. And I did a big gesture with the hands, stay away, everybody. And then he went, oh, and he backed off. Oh, that's so nice. Number four, the joyous tingling sensation you get when thrusting a swab up your nose. Hmm. I haven't thought of it as joyous, but I guess it it's like, hey, I know I'm alive. Number three, watch 12 straight hours of Mama's Family reruns on Antenna TV. Yes. Number two, played off being drunk at noon on Monday, claiming it was, quote, COVID fog. <laughs> you drank while with COVID that didn't make you nauseated? More nauseated. And the number one best thing about having COVID, all you can drink Gatorade. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) All right, Allison, uh, what do you got here? Alicia Silverstone reveals that she still co-sleeps with her 11-year-old son, Bear. Can you even handle that, Todd? It's kind of sweet. 
in a way. Well, we've talked about this before, and mostly it was about the fact that uh, Allison, you, you personally are, uh, you do occasionally co-sleep with with your kids. Yes, uh, not with Owen. He has never. Uh, well, he's still in his crib, so he's three years old. He's almost three and a half, and he's still in his crib, which has pluses and minuses. So he's never slept in our bed. Elliot occasionally will in the middle of the night come into our bed and we'll let him stay there although it's I was thinking about it recently it's been a really long time since he's done that so I don't know if that phase is is behind us or not I know you're more strict about no child in the bed ever right yeah in in general I mean a couple times the kid has come out in the middle of the night and that's normal stuff that's normal kid stuff that's fine but uh, we set a precedent when the kid was like four months old that it was like sleep training be harsh on that and mm. make it so the kid is confident in sleeping in his own room and develops that skill of putting himself to sleep and I think that was a big part of my wife and right. I's parenting and then you were saying you were a little bit more lax on it but Seems within the range of healthy behavior, but this, co-sleeping with the 11-year-old. Right. So people have a lot of mixed feelings. So this is what Alicia Silverstone says, and she revealed this on the Ellen Fisher podcast. She said, I'm a natural mama, and I'm a loving mama. I believe in love. I believe in nature, and our society is scared of nature and love. Um, So she's been criticized for attachment parenting. That's what, what, uh, that's a a very uh, popular style of parenting right now, which is very, uh, you're very closely bonded with your child. There's a lot of, uh, like, instead of putting them in a stroller, you would, you carry them around, you, you wear, there's a lot of baby wearing, which is where you put them in a carrier. Um, they call it baby wearing. Uh, and you know, I tried to do it with my kids. Those carriers are not particularly comfortable. That is a story for another day. I went to a baby wearing meetup. Apparently it's a story for today. I went to a baby wearing meetup when Elliot was like nine weeks old and I tried on these different carriers and the people who led the meetup were trying, were helping me adjust them. And the guy kept, and I appreciate this, but it was very amusing to me. He kept saying, permission to touch you. And then he, I'd say, yes, he adjusted permission to touch you. Um, but then Elliot was crying and the, it was a, this couple who, so the, the wife of permission to touch you guy told me that it was unnatural that he was crying and that I should take him to this like baby guru who was a baby chiropractor and like find out what's going on because it's unnatural that he's crying this much and that really turned me off because I was like you are freaking me out and then it's like he's a maybe he was seven weeks old whatever it was he's a baby it's normal that he would cry and it turned out he was just hungry and I fed him and he was fine yeah, that to me sounds like her. a big scam. Like, we bring you into this place, and then you're like, yeah. oh, there's something wrong with your baby. This is like when we talked about before on the show when I took the personality test from Scientology, <laughs> and I went in, and then they told me I was depressed, and then yeah. they tried to sell me a bunch of stuff. And that's the same thing. So you come in, oh, well, who knew the baby would cry? So the guy just sits there, seems like he cares, going, you know, asking for your touching consent. And then the baby cries, which I don't know what seven-month-year-old baby doesn't cry seven constantly. Week. Or nine seven weeks. Week. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big shocker. The baby right. shouldn't be crying. An infant. Yeah. yeah. The baby shouldn't be crying at this. So anyway, that being said, like, I don't know, my, my kind of philosophy with all of these different styles of parenting is like there's aspects of it that are great. Take it. And this is not about me. This is about Alicia Silverstone. Um, so anyway... Regarding attachment parenting, she explains that it helps them become independent as they get older. Every choice I make is either based on instinct or deep research. 
Those are completely the opposite, by the way, though. Um, she said <laughs> before adding <laughs> that she doesn't want to raise her kid in any other way. I, I just think it's delicious. <laughs> um, I have a problem with things being described as delicious that aren't food. But anyway, I just think it's delicious. I think being a mom is the most precious, most unbelievable experience in this world. And it's not for everyone. And anyone who doesn't want to do it shouldn't do it. But for me, it's so divine. And I wanted to savor every moment in this life. No, sorry. And I wanted to savor every moment in his life, she said. Uh, I was speaking, here's where I, Alison Rosen, offer information, which is not fact-checked, but it was received anecdotally. I was speaking to a woman who's Japanese, and she was saying, again, do do your own research. This is not fact-checked. But she was saying that in Asian countries, they co-sleep with their children. Like, she slept with her son, and her husband slept with their daughter um, separately. They sleep with children until they're and I asked till what age and she said like until that they're able to shower them the children are able to bathe themselves so whatever age that would be because they feel like it's safer like they feel like in our culture it's we stop sleeping with them too young so I thought that I thought that was kind of interesting now granted 11 is a is quite a bit older than you know you typically see but there's an argument that in America let's say we are having the kids sleep on their own pretty young. But then there are lots of studies that say that it's, that's totally fine. It is not harming them at all. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't done my own research on this, mm-hmm. Allison. Uh, I'm just going to go like Alicia Silverstone on deep instinct, on, ins- <laughs> on deep instinct, not, not just, not border level instinct. Yeah. I'm talking about like when I'm really quiet, when I'm at my Zen, when, you know, mat. I'm on my bath mat, and then I get this real instinct kicks in, which usually just says, like, I want chicken wings. But <laughs> with, with Alicia Silverstone, I think that once you get up to 11, it feels a little bit to me more like the parent is being selfish and not letting their child develop on their own. And it's more like they want the feeling of fulfillment and not to feel alone and want the joy of sharing their bed with a with a kid. That's what it feels like more to me. It's more like right. the, the the parent being indulgent than it being a mutual thing. Yeah. I wonder if you switched the gender on this and it was like the rocks admits he still sleeps with his 11-year-old son. Would people be like, "Well, that's what it would be like 10 times more weird than a, a female doing it." I think if it was the rock sleeps with his 10-year-old daughter, it'd be even weirder. Yeah. So there is a there is a little bit. It gets a little different when we look when we kind of right. switch gender on it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean. But if it were like seven or eight, I think that's okay, right? The Rock and an eight year old daughter. No, if if her if Alicia Silverstone's son Bear was like seven or eight, I think it gets a little better. I think once you get past the fifth grade, when kids start getting weird. Yeah. Uh, then it gets a, a little more strange. Right. Upworthy Weekly. Feel-good study shows Americans are more likely to help a stranger now than they were in the 50s. <laughs> what is happening to you? I don't My glasses were like pinching my ears, and oh. I, I think it's COVID. I think the COVID messed up my ears. Probably. Uh, I'm just going to... I'm just going to go bear eyes looking at this. Bear eyes. Oh, my God. 
I'm, I'm, I'm reading raw dog here. <laughs> Your eyes are going commando. I know. Uh, these days, when someone does a good deed, it's common for people to react by saying, it's great to see there are still some good people in this world. The implicit message is that Americans used to be more helpful to one another, but at a certain point in history, things changed and we stopped looking out for our neighbors. Uh, however, a new study published by the American Psychological Association's Psychological Bulletin has found that Americans are more likely to help a stranger than they were in the 1950s. And they had done studies on this from going back to 1956 to now and found that Americans are almost 20% more likely to help a stranger than previously. Which flies in the face of a lot of the people who thought that, quote, America was like great back when it was like leave it to beaver days or whatever. But when you actually look at those times, uh, you'll find that actually people were more impoverished. Like the poverty rate in America was way higher. Um, people were obviously more segregated. You know, women didn't have rights. It was a whole different world. Oh, we're getting world. back to that, though. That's coming oh, back. Yeah, okay. We're making it okay, great good. again in that way. Okay, great. You know, slowly but surely... <laughs> Good point, Allison. But mm. yes, so you know, people look back on those days because they just they just they see it differently because of the way it's they portrayed have nostalgia. in film. Exactly, nostalgia right. for a for time me- that did not exist. Right. And so this study was interesting. It found uh, again that Americans were more likely, when tested, to help out somebody. And the reason was was actually a kind of counterintuitive. They found that actually Americans are even more individualistic than they used to be. And people who are more individualistic, quote, are more likely to interact with strangers and quote have a greater generalized trust in others. It also cites prior research uh, that has found that individualists compared to collectivists are more likely to cooperate when interacting with strangers. Why? Allison, you look perplexed. Yes. Uh, I'm wondering, do they offer uh, a theory as to why individualists are more likely to do this than um, cooperativists? Well, I kind of projected my own belief in this, and you, and you tell me. Now, okay. people who are collectivists tend to be people who their entire identity is mostly based on uh, the group they're part of, mm. right? And Joiners. that group is, yeah, it's usually not cast that broadly, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you think about, like, the weird thing is when you go to the East Coast, I noticed this, I was in Connecticut, and I drove by five Catholic churches, and my brother-in-law at the time, God bless him. My brother-in-law at the time said, that's the German Catholic Church, that's the Italian Catholic Church, that's the Hispanic Catholic Church, and that's like the German Catholic Church or whatever. And even though everybody was Catholic in the area, they still had to divide themselves by their European ethnicity. Right. So people who are more collectivisty, which maybe people were more in the past because they were more into, say, if you're America, which was, I guess, it was a lot whiter then, everybody was really into their European ancestry, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm Irish. We're, we're the Irish Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, therefore, their collective identity was, I will help out people who are like me versus maybe they're not going to be as willing to help out the I Italians. see. They're not going to reach out. Yes. Right. They're going to stick to their own. But someone who's more individualistic is it mm-hmm. isn't drawing up such lines of us versus them. That makes so sense. So what? I, first, people 
we often see people more individualistic, meaning they're going to be more selfish because mm-hmm. they're all about themselves. You think individualism, they're going to be like some kind of Ayn Rand, syncophant kind of thing. But it's more like somebody who's just, uh, they're, they're not that into, they're, they're not that into the us and them thing, mm-hmm. I guess, which right. a collectivist would be. I'm really into my race. I'm really into my religion, my ethnicity, my neighborhood, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the individualist is maybe a little more high-minded. Yes. Um, well, good. Good for us nowadays. Uh, I have something un-upworthy. We need like some kind of drop to indicate an anti-upworthy thing to say. Oh, Do we have yes. something like that? Um, I have something anti-upworthy to say. So I was watching something on TikTok, and right, there's like, this trend going today, around. Satan. <laughs> That'll work. Sorry. <laughs> maybe, maybe this. Cat. Cat noise is pretty not un-upworthy. Because we know cats... Cats do nothing, do nothing upworthy. You are just fanning the flames. There's this trend going around right now on upward, on upworthy. Excuse me. It's the COVID speaking. This trend going on right now on TikTok where it's like five things I would never do based on my profession. Um, So it'll be like an emergency room doctor who's like based on, you know, working in the emergency room, I would never do these five things. Um, And so it's a cop saying based on being a cop. I would never do these five things. And one of the five is if a stranger comes up to me and asks for the time, I would never give them the time as a cop. If she's out there as a cop, I don't think she would never give someone the time, but she said, this is her advice to you. If you're out there, like, and I forget if it was at night specifically, but like if someone comes, if a stranger comes up to you and asks for the time, do not stop. Don't acknowledge, she's like, don't acknowledge them because you're about to get robbed. And that was very depressing to me because I was thinking I totally would stop and give someone the time if someone asked me. And I don't mean give them the time, like stop and have a conversation. I mean, literally I would give, I would tell them what time it is if they're asking me for the time, wouldn't you? I think I would too. Uh, I mean, unless the person looked like they were total like sketch, right? Then, yeah, and then I maybe guess, not. Right. If I if I felt fear, if I felt uncomfortable, then I would just keep going. But if I didn't, then I probably, yeah. I mean, it's situation specific. But she was just like across the board. Do not stop and uh, engage ever with someone with a stranger talking to you, which is very paranoid but maybe not the worst advice. Allison, what types of people specifically make you uncomfortable? Uh, people with COVID. Okay. People who are angry at me. Okay. Right. Um, people who don't like my podcast because I question their taste. Okay. Um, that's about it. Okay. You? Okay. Mm. Oh, I know. around everyone. Yeah. People who are like, I had the best childhood in the world. My parents are my best friends. No complaints. Because I'm just like, how? What is that like? I don't get it. Upworthy, Upworthy Weekly. Weekly. 25 women reveal non-sexual things guys have done that were big turn-ons. This came from a Reddit thread. Uh, so these are non-sexual things guys have done that were big turn-ons. 
Dragnose42 says, first time I had my now husband over for dinner at my house. Well, now you have the glasses back on. Wait, you, 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 it, did, your, did your eyeballs feel too nude? They felt too nude, and I felt like I had to mask up because you started to get into a story about like dudes and turn-ons. And then it was like, mm-hmm. oh, the, my, my security blanket, my glasses, yeah. I can put them on now because it makes me uncomfortable, you know? I hear you. I hear that. Uh, okay, so first time I had my now husband over for dinner at my house, he immediately got up and started doing the dishes after he was done eating. Married four years now, and it still gets me going every time. Wow. <sighs> I have a personal story to interject. Should I do it now or later? I feel like now is a fine time. Um, I'll let you make that choice. uh, (laughs) As a person who's podcasted for years, you don't need to ask me permission. All right. Just it's a very quick aside because I was thinking about it yesterday and I and I was I was wanting to die. Uh, I very briefly dated this guy who was um, look, I've had a series of like quarter and midlife I'm a little bit too young for a midlife crisis, but I'm getting close. It was a quarter life crisis where I dated this guy who was younger than I was when I lived in New York. He lived on uh, he lived on Long Island. I like took the train out to his little house. Uh, we barely knew each other. He was younger, like I said, like ridiculously younger. He was so cute though, so much younger than I was. And I remember like doing his laundry and folding it. We barely knew each other. And thinking somehow this, he would just be like super into this. And I look back on that and I'm like, what was I doing? That is like, you look disgusted. That is the appropriate response. Some girl that you've like basically just, I'm sorry, this is upworthy. This is like some, I hope this, this is this. I don't know if this is PG 13 content. I don't know. But like Mm. we were dating slash like basically kind of had, it was like a, a hookup slash date and then I'm like doing his laundry that that's someone that you like get rid of very fast that's yeah, psycho behavior that, yeah that's clingy that's very Ugh. clingy that's, I know and I yeah. was thinking this would somehow be a like a turn on I want to die when I think about that I, I'm that's so it's so humiliating what was I thinking well you know what here's the thing now that I'm older in my 20s that would have been creep show he but was now in that 20s. I'm <laughs> yeah now that I'm older and you know when you're married division of labor is a big deal in a relationship it's important to really figure out who's doing what uh I'd be like okay cool we're starting on this one real quick cuz you know cuz just imagine how well you've trained your spouse and your <laughs> spouse has trained you yeah. over this time imagine just throwing somebody fresh into the situation like you know, again, uh, Margot Robbie, I wake up in the morning yes. and I'm married to Margot Robbie and I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, who's who's cooking dinner? What, mm-hmm. what, what do you even like to eat? What do you eat? What do people like you eat? Uh, when do you people, Australians, uh, I don't know, do laundry or, you know, uh, is it OK for me to drink at noon? Like what? There's all these things and these norms you create in a relationship. So I can't imagine the decade it would take to start over and get everything grooved in and not fight over over stuff. So right. in that way, if we're just going to get right into division of labor early, maybe that makes sense. Yeah, I still, I still want to die when I think about it. I hope it goes better for you and Margot. Subjective Value 01 says, putting his hand behind the passenger seat and looking over his shoulder to reverse the car. Hmm. Mushroom Cat says, putting the palm of his hand on the side of my head during a hug. 
It's simply Samantha, says, talking about something he was passionate about. His eyes lit up and he was just incandescently happy. I love listening to people get excited about something they love. Whenever I hear the word incandescent, I always flash back to that episode of 90210 where Dylan told Brenda her eyes were incandescent. I will never not think of that when I hear the word incandescent. These are just some of the things. Like, speaking of, like, a man getting into what he's really passionate about, mm-hmm. like, let's just you say you were on a, you know, first date, you know, Daniel had been, you know, God bless, but the anvil hit him on the head oh, and you no. had to go back in the dating pool. Mm-hmm. And a guy on the first date, he's getting passionate about what he really cares about. And he's sitting there and he's just, he's just really worked up and so excited. And he's just like, hey, you know... The thing is, what the Imperials didn't know when they invaded Hoth was that the Adats were not going to move as quickly because of the temperature on Hoth. No, you know see, what I'm saying? I, yeah. I would tap out at that point. It, yeah. it's, it depends what... I'm sorry. And I, maybe I don't speak for all women. There's probably some kind of woman out there who's super into Star Trek. Just kidding. I said that on purpose. There are pl- plenty of women out there for whom that would be a real big uh, pro, in the a plus. But for me, because I'm not into all of that, I've tried to be, but I just can't. That would I would just um, flatline, and I liter- I would literally die. Uh, but when I see Daniel, he's very artistic and very creative, and when I watch him sculpt or do things like that that's like a non-sexual thing that I find to be a turn on because he's just so he's so good at it and it's like wow that um when I see him be really and this was one that came up on on the list uh when I see him be very sweet and patient with the kids or very sweet and patient with our dog um like nurturing and caring. And I feel like that's a, a biological thing uh, for me. That is, um, I'm just like, oh my God, uh, I really picked right. That is, is well, I, a, a non-sexual turn on. Isn't being turned on a biological thing in general? You know? Yeah, it really is when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually you get a biological reaction in the right. body. And then also one that is not has nothing to do with all of that uh, from back way before the the all of this uh but i in this is probably a a pretty common one as well. I would notice that uh watching guys play bass d- did something for me mm, like slap bass like flea. <laughs> Right. It was yep, something about Les Claypool uh and Primus. <laughs> no, it was not <laughs> it definitely was not that style of bass. What about I know that this is just the story is just twenty-five women. Now you just showed me instruments on the wall, but are those guitars or basses? There is a bass guitar right okay. here. So if I so if I went less Claypool, right? <laughs> Definitely not that. Yeah, um, I you know I was thinking to myself like my wife when we've had moments and she was like oh that was very sexy. It's always moments when I don't think there's anything sexy happening. Like I remember there's like a palm tree in my backyard and the palms started falling down. So I grabbed a ladder. And I climbed the ladder, mm-hmm. and I 
was removing the, the dead palm tree branch. And she's sitting there watching me, and she's like, that is, that is very sexy. And I was like, what? This is... <laughs> Maybe I was wearing some short shorts or something. I don't know. But I was like, really? This is, she goes, yeah, it kind of does it for me. And I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's shocking. Um, Doesn't, you know, I would think maybe like if I was cooking dinner with just the apron on or something. Mm-hmm. That, no, none of that. Um, I was thinking maybe some of the things I'm actually good at in life, like making a podcast or saying something slightly humorous or something, or right. doing something creative. No, d- doesn't want to hear any of it. Nothing. <laughs> but this is the palm frond, yard work. <laughs> you know, this also. I think this is an interesting thing because I think there's a lot of guys out there, maybe younger guys, or maybe some guys that never get it, that assume. And again, we're generalizing based on gender. Yes. But some heterosexual men out there that assume that women get turned on the same way guys do. And so, you know, even like a a guy who's like a nice guy, like meets a woman and gets her phone number and he's like, you know what I think I'll do today? I think I'll send her a picture of my junk. And then sends a a junk. British? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You get it? Well, I was just thinking that even erudite men which you do a british accent can be like that dumb to think that mm-hmm. women work the same way exactly. as men where it's a bit like right. if, if a girl just sent a guy like you know a picture of her underwear or something he'd be like oh my god i'm so turned on you know <laughs> but I, I don't i don't think it necessarily we maps don't the we opposite do, let way. me just say and now i i don't know that i speak for everyone but i think i speak for most of us we don't want pics of your junk unsolicited. No, actually, I, I go, I speak for all of us. No unsolicited pics, please. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's a rule. You think that's a, all women feel that way? Or, we do. I mean, maybe there's do. some. I don't, I don't, we, no, I don't, we do. We no. feel that way. No unsolicited pics. So I think things like this, where a woman gets turned on when he sees a man doing yard work, or being creative, or again, I think you know, guys playing in bands or whatever that are adept at playing an instrument or whatever—that's a sexy thing or whatever. So it's not just the raw physicality that I think um, a woman could get away with to a man, right? Right. It, it's you know, it's it's a harder it's a harder life being a, a heterosexual man trying to you know attract the opposite sex because you're working on something very nuanced here. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that as a heterosexual man, my brain is not nuanced, so I gotta get like <laughs> way, I gotta get way outside of my comfort zone or not think like I think, and man, that's really hard. I, yes. And is it even possible for you to achieve that level of nuance? Well, I'm married. And I never sent any weird photos because there were no phones then. And to do it through the mail, you know, you have to like, what's your address? And then I'd have to go to the photo mat. Right. Yeah, you have to get it developed and that's embarrassing. Or take a Polaroid, but that always looks sketchy. Right. Yes. Like... Why does Todd have a It's expensive, Polaroid? too. Yes. And you got to shake it. Mm-hmm. Upworthy Weekly. Okay, now this one, we need to have some kind of trigger warning on the show for this one, because this, this might be too controversial for some listeners, this next topic. Okay. 
Um, so I'm just, you know, if anybody out there is very sensitive and doesn't want us getting into really sensitive stuff that, you know, you can't handle, uh, watch out. But uh, here's the headline. Uh, Woman declared peas the, quote, nastiest vegetable, and people chimed in with their vegetable beefs. Wow, we usually try to stay away from politics. I know, I know, but, you know, well, you know, to be fair. When something big is happening in the world, we have to cover it. There are a lot of vegetables in Congress there, Allison. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. I'm Andy Rooney. No. Um, a woman named Des wrote, and this was on Twitter, and this went viral, and maybe it was a hot take. It was a hot take. Uh, she said, what's the nastiest vegetable? I'll go first. Peas. And then young Ummy replied with the correct response, canned green lima beans, which mm. are disgusting. And whenever I eat a lima bean, I always am afraid that if it gets wet, it's going to grow a plant in my stomach. Like with when little kids, they make little lima bean yes, plants. I remember that. I was, that was always fun. I think that sucker is going to take over my whole body. If I eat four, I'm going to have like bean stalks coming out of my ears. Mm-hmm. It's going to slowly erode me from the inside. Um, my, my whole house is going to end up looking like, you know those documentaries they do like when all the humans are gone and then like mm-hmm. this is big the plants you know take over. the ivy takes over everything um so I, i'm with it on the lima bean uh, somebody wrote asparagus and they said this is interesting never had it but it's just so ugly huh interesting i don't share that op- i don't share that opinion but i can respect I it <laughs> not <laughs> Burn. Asparagus is a charming looking little it's little cute. little thing, especially especially beneath salmon. Like oh, yeah. you're eating the salmon and then you get to right. the Oh, look at that. Little <laughs> asparagus in there. Right. It was on a bed the whole time. I didn't know. Yeah, and uh another guy wrote, "Okra is mother nature's boogers." <laughs> I don't know, in a corn medley, I'm fine with it. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think I'd ever eat like just a, a handful of okra, but mixed in as like a little texture change because well, the, the thing the thing about okra is it's got the gooey, but it's also furry. Yeah. It's got goo and it's, fur. It's kind of weird, which is kind of like, is there a, a dead rat? It's like in eating here? a stuffed like, animal. Yeah. Um, I like, I've had jarred pickled okra, which sounds nasty, but I kind of like it. I haven't had it in a while, but I used to like it. Pickled okra. Mm -hmm. It's not bad. It sounds sounds decent. Uh, But I bet you only ate like three at a time. It's not like you went through the whole jar. (laughs) You're wrong. But you'd be, I would have been better off only eating a couple at a time because I always got a pretty intense stomach ache afterwards. Yeah. It's really a, a couple at a time kind of. It, it's a it's a not you should not warning. Do not eat an entire jar of pickled okra. You will not feel good after. Yeah. Fur-bearing fruit. Keep it to a minimum. Right. Uh another guy said um a guy who was really the greatest Twitter handle of all time. A guy named Baked Potato. Oh. Said I just be snacking on raw carrots like a rabbit. If they're sweet especially, they're the best. Okay. 
So this goes to you, Allison Rosen. What is the nastiest vegetable? I cannot make peace with cucumbers. Are they a vegetable? I think they're technically a fruit, right? Well, there's a seed in it, right? Yeah, so isn't yes. the line of demarcation, like if there's a seed in it, then it's a fruit? I think so. But for the sake yeah. of argument, let's just say cucumber. Uh, I keep, you know, I used to like cucumbers when I was a kid. I'm fine with cucumber water. I like things that smell like cucumber in, in like conceptually on every level. I enjoy cucumber, but for some reason at some point, I don't know what happened. So I'll like take a bite of it. I find it refreshing just in general, the smell of it. Um, but I'll like take a bite and I'm just like, Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. And then people are like, you know, what's related to the watermelon. And I'm like, yes, I, I don't enjoy watermelon either. There's just something about it that I just can't really handle. Wait, you don't like watermelon? I don't. I'm sorry. My children love it. And so does my husband. How do you not like what's not likable about a watermelon? I don't know. But same thing. I'll chomp down on it. And then I'm like, oh, let's. It's a little bit mealy, and it's, I don't know, it's got that, the same thing that happen, happens with the cucumber. There's some well, it's, it's flavor I don't if, care for. If you, if, 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 if you leave the watermelon out for six days and eat it, then yeah, it's got that weird slime on Is it. Is that not how you you're know? supposed to enjoy it? Aged watermelon? Do you, not, do you not like watermelon Jolly Ranchers? I don't. In, uh, watermelon, or I don't like a watermelon jelly bean. I don't like the watermelon flavor. The artificial watermelon flavor, and I don't like the real watermelon flavor. Thought I knew you. Ah, uh, now you see how it feels. I thought I knew you, and then it turned out you had tortoises. Um, but other than that, I, there's really no vegetable that I dislike. I can't, I'm down with all vegetables. What about you, Todd? You know, I kind of came up with the list, like like five that uh, really? I, that get off my plate. Oh. I can't wait. Get off my plate. <laughs> yeah, that could be your catchphrase if you are like a bad stand-up comic. Or yeah, a good we need, one. Oh, yeah. It could be, be yeah. <laughs> Cauliflower. Get off my plate. <laughs> I, I was... And you could like I hold the to... microphone out to the audience. Everybody, get... And they could all say it. Get off my oh, plate. Yeah. And, and then I'd, I'd sell shirts. Yes. That said, like, get off my plate. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like this. Mm -hmm. I like so this. good. I was trying to do a Dave Damashek impersonation, but I guess it just didn't work. Oh. Get, get off my plate. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. 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 Do you think a lot of our listeners know who that is? Yeah, because they, they're all people who listen to your show. All much. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, number five. <laughs> Cauliflower. Oh, it's a poor man's broccoli. Cauliflower, get off my plate. I love cauliflower. Number four, pumpkin. Oh. And I'll say this, because when you put it in a pie, the sweet potato, much more delectable. It <laughs> crushes, crushes the pumpkin every time. And pumpkin, even, okay, in order to make a pumpkin taste good, you know how much crap you gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta like just soak it in sugar and butter and like anything like... My shoe, like shoe leather, if treated that way, would be tasty. Right. I disagree with you, but I hear where you're coming from. Pumpkin, get off my plate. <laughs> the, the next I'm going to go with, 
zucchini. Oh my God, you're so, I, as always, I can't handle how wrong you are. This is the new Mariah Carey song in terms of things that you're wrong about. Zucchini is zucchini. So, one of my favorites. No, it's zucchini is like the bastard version of a uh, cucumber. So zucchini, get off my plate. And onto Next. my plate. <laughs> Beets. Mm. They're kind of bitter. They got a weird like bloody vegetable thing going. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, it, and it's like anything that's like a Russian delicacy, and not to not to diss the Russian people and their robust culture, but like they didn't have a lot of food to choose from. Is the thing is why right. the beet is such a big deal in their culture. You know, if if they had like you know corn or bread or any or anything besides the beet, then they wouldn't have to find like so many different ways to doctor it up. So mm-hmm. you know. Go home, Beats. You're drunk. Beats, get off my plate. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was a little John Mulaney. Yeah, that was. Beats, get off my plate. Oh, my God. It's the, the Damashek to Mulaney pipeline. Yeah. Okay. So, I think well, I, I just found it. I can't wait to hear what number one is. Number one, arugula. Oh. It's bitter. Mm-hmm. It's got a terrible texture. It almost has a little bit of a fur-bearing vegetable thing going on it. And it's a disgrace to any salad. I've had before, I went to this place, you ever eat this place, Lemonade, they have? Yeah, I have. And I, I got a salad, and it was just like arugula, just drenched in like um, like lemon. They, mm-hmm. Basically, to kill the flavor of the arugula, they had to like douse it in acid. <laughs> that is lemon. <laughs> Like anything that was pleasant tasting did not need to be completely soaked in lemon. Right. So I'm going to say this. Arugula, get off my plate. Wow. Good night, everybody. rate your week. Have something great happen this week that you just have to share with the world? Tell us about it by emailing us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com. Else. Yes. On a scale of one through five, one being completely horrifyingly awful, Five being amazingly glorious. Could you rate your week? I'm going to give this week. Now, recall, this uh, last two weeks were both 1.5s. I had some pretty bad weeks. I'm going to give this one a three. I almost gave it a 3.5, but I'm going to give it a three. My children are back in school, which has been good. Uh, on Wednesday, our babysitter came back. So that's been very nice. Um, I am feeling better but I still have a headache that's not going away and I feel like um very behind whoa sorry and I'm hearing weird sounds just kidding um yeah and I I feel like uh like I can't get 
organized. Like I just feel behind on everything and like kind of cloudy in my head and just sort of like uh, I COVID just set me back in a lot of ways, which I think is what happens when you when you've been sick. Um, yeah. But yeah. So but um, you know what? I, I'm going to actually I'm going to give it a 3.5 because life I, I'm returning to life. I'm coming back. And that's and that's okay. good. And I'm grateful for that. So, um, yeah, I have not started exercising again. Uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm looking forward to having energy to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to give it a 3.5. Are you a better person than you were last week? I don't think so. I think I'm just that same sack of blah that I was pretty much. Yeah. What about you, Todd, on a scale of one being how you feel about zucchini to five being how I feel about zucchini? It's truly one of my favorites. How was your week? Zucchini. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Uh, You know, I'm going to give it a three. Really? Even though I had COVID-19, uh, you know what? I I had to isolate for many days. Six days, I was alone in my bedroom. But you know what? I had a stack of books. I had my laptop, and I was working on some creative projects. Uh, I had TV. And, uh, you know, just every once in a while, my wife would open the door and slide a little food in there. Like, you know, I was a dog in a shelter or a <laughs> Spanish prisoner or something. And then... Um, you know, so that wasn't that bad. I, I just relaxed and chilled out and it wasn't so bad. And so, you know, it's just some downtime and I didn't have any responsibilities. Nothing was expected of me. This is and, me you know, just that's... fixing you in my steely glare. So jealous of your experience because it was so different than mine. Go ahead. Well, there was one. There was one bad moment and that was uh, my wife could not sleep. She could not share share the bed with me. You know, like Alicia Silverstone does with the yeah. 11-year-old. Yeah, we could not share your bed, as Michael Jackson would say. <laughs> There's no bed sharing. So my wife was going to sleep on the couch. But th- so my wife's like, I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight. And I swear to God, once she said that, my dog <laughs> goes, roof. And like his ear went up. And and my dog was like, well, let's turn this into the aristocrats joke. You know, <laughs> So... The dog, my dog goes out to the couch and just, and my dog just up Chuck. I don't know if I gave him dog COVID or he ate something weird, but the dog just made sure to like, not only that, but evenly distribute the barf over every cushion on the couch. (laughs) So so my wife was like, where am I going to sleep now, Todd? And um, so that that threw a little bit of a wrench into my chill plans because I could just hear my wife huffing and puffing in the rest of the house and I could imagine it and mm-hmm. fantasize like, Oh, here's the look on her face and here's why she's so upset. But, and so she had to sleep on a makeshift bed for, you know, a day or two till we got the couch clean. So that wasn't good. So that's what took the day down because I had to sit and, and feel bad about not being able to help my family. So overall, again, a three. So wh- what kind of makeshift bed was this? She grabbed some cushions off like a, a, a couch, a really uncomfortable couch that I have in my office. So. And by the way, you sent me pictures of the, the, the crime scene, your dog's crime scene. And you, you guys have a very fashionable mid-modern special, it's yeah. a special house. 
But your devotion to mid-mod makes it so that your quote-unquote comfortable couch does not look very comfortable. So you're very uncomfortable. No offense. It's very stylish, but it just doesn't look particularly comfortable. So I was thinking your really uncomfortable couch, what is it made out of? Thumbtacks? It's like it's like the hardest fabric known to mankind. Like I, I laid on it once and there was like absolutely no give. Mm-hmm. It didn't it didn't cradle my body. It was like a park curves. bench or something. Yeah, it was kind of like whatever you'd picture like Socrates sat on when he talked to people. You know, it was like, like th- a, th- there's a, marble a branch that is softer. Okay. Yeah. No, well, you know, like those stone. Yeah. Benches, yes. you know, they have Something in Rome. in a museum. Yeah. Like, I sat on one of those, and, like, I, I, I feel like I had a bruised hip. Day, so <laughs> well, it sounds not... sounds miserable. It also sounds like the kind of mattress my sister would want to sleep on. Have you ever met people who are like, I need a firm mattress? The firmer, the better. And I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah, these, these are people that, I don't know, I, I think they're, they're Stoics, you know, they're, they're people that, you know, maybe they're, they're Puritans, you know, <laughs> work, work hard, have no joy. You know? <laughs> right. Are you a better person? You know, oh, sorry. I think there's also some people that get a kick out of, look, look at, look at the amount of discomfort I can exist in mm. because I'm severe, you know? Yeah. Those are people who enjoy a hostel. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also other reasons to stay in a youth hostel, but uh, okay. Yeah. Are you a better person than you were before the week before? Yes. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's lessons from getting the pandemic, and I think I took them all to heart. And then also, I finished the book Atomic Habits because I was just sitting around reading one day, and and now again, um, I'll be happy. Maybe on our next episode, I could do a book report for you Please. because you have had no. the book for two, three years <laughs> and have never finished no, it. I so I just, yeah, I just want to maybe just so you don't have to, you know, hurt your eyes. Thank and, you. And My concentrate brain. and think. Yeah. Hurt your brain, you know. I, I have time not watching television. That uh, you know, I can I can maybe read the book to you or do an audio version of the book. Maybe. Do you feel like it's changing your life? I you know I haven't had the chance to really have much choices in life, thus not being able to build any new habits because you know I was like sitting in prison for six mm-hmm. days. So I'll see. I think next week I'm going to start going atomic. With my <laughs> Oh my God, I can't wait. Upworthy Weekly. A Nigerian journalist has been making these really funny TikTok videos pointing out how wrong people are about Africa and how many misperceptions there are. Her name is Charity Akizi. And earlier this year, she and her friends noticed uh, in a lot of TikTok comments that commenters, particularly from the U.S., from Europe, had a lot of incorrect and, frankly, racist ideas about Africa. Um, So she said that a lot of people see the continent as a prehistoric place that, let's say, lacks running water, Internet access and refrigeration. Uh, This is a quote. So I got upset because I thought these were things that people should actually know. And I decided to do something about it. Uh, One day I was with my cousins at my house in the village and I was like, let's make a TikTok. Let's do something sarcastic. Let's dress up like maidens and go to our village river and make a video. Um, So she made this video, which is like, you know, how 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 do you guys, you know, live in Africa with no water? And it's like them dancing in the river. Um, and these have been viewed millions and millions of times. 
Uh, and there's a whole bunch of these. Like, is it true that you don't have any air conditioning in Africa? And it's her explaining. They're very, very funny. They're all sarcastic, tongue in cheek, explaining that, you know, no, of course they don't have any air conditioning, but it's her standing next to an air conditioner. Um, and, uh, you know. Well, here's the audio. Okay, great. Let's, yeah. Do you have air conditioners in Africa? No, we don't have air conditioners in Africa, but whenever the weather gets really hot and we begin to sweat profusely, the community chief priest gathers all the elephants in the community at the village square and then gives them a treat and gets them to flap their ears. Once they begin to flap their ears, a cool breeze is circulated throughout the community. The faster they flap their ears, the cooler the breeze. And that's how we survive without air conditioners in Africa. Yeah. Now we know. And she also did one where she talked about people who say, how do you charge your phone in Africa? How do you charge your phone? So you already know there is no electricity in Africa. We depend on lightning from the God of Thunder, and it's quite difficult to use lightning to charge our phones. So what we do is every time we have to charge our phones, we go to the community river filled with hippos, and then we pick a hippo and insert this end of the cable into the hippo's butt and put this other part of the cable into your phone. Then in less than one minute, your phone will be fully charged. And it's so fast because the community hippo's butt emits so much high voltage that it charges the phone super fast. That is exactly what I did this morning and I got my phone fully charged. And so that's how we charge our phones in Africa. Yeah. I'd like to thank Alison Rosen for joining me on today's show. Thank you. May we be healthy people please next week please physically and mentally upworthy weekly was produced by todd perry follow upworthy on all socials at upworthy allison is on twitter at allison rosen and todd at todd a perry that's todd with one d questions comments or to tell us about your amazing week email us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week. Right, like, what do you have for me today, Satan? <laughs>